Welcome to Nostrum, the debate soap opera, where deontology is more than just an idea, it's a rebuttal by Jules O'Shaughnessy and the Nostrumite. Before we get going, we do like to remind you that just as Jules and the Nostromite began writing these episodes at the beginning, you should begin listening at the beginning. All of our previous episodes are available at www.jimmenick.com. We are going to skip the epistle from St. Jules to the Foreign Sicians this week because I just read it to myself and it made absolutely no sense to me. I do apologize for not reading the letter for those who feel that it is an absolute necessity. And I also apologize for falling a little behind in the reading of the Nostrum epic over the last few weeks, and I'll try to make up for that in the future. If you have forgotten who everyone is, I do remind you that Jules and the Nostromite did write a guide to the characters in Nostrum, which is available on the podcast website. Actually, it's available on the Nostrum website, which is connected to the podcast website, which, as you well know, is www.jimmenick.com slash podcasts. Episode 39. I don't think they mean SATs for Labrador Retrievers. Mondays. Nobody likes Mondays, but this one has been especially brutal, at least for tarnished Chutmal. To begin with, the Obamash debacle has finally made it to the local papers. Page one, no less, complete with a reprint of the photograph from USA Today. Not that the other teachers at night and day weren't already aware of it, however. From the minute Jutmal got out of his car this morning, one or the other of them has been asking him for more of the juicy details. Since Obamash represented a school 30 miles away, most of Jutmal's colleagues wouldn't recognize the man if he bit them on the nether regions, but that hasn't stopped them from following up on the story. How often does one of their own get scooped up on a morals charge? All right, often enough, but not so often that it still isn't newsworthy. Ms. Mooney, the freshman English teacher, was the worse. In the teacher's lounge, she grabbed Jutmal by the elbow with the hook of her prosthetic arm before he had even added milk to his coffee. You've got to tell me about this. There's not all that much to tell, Marjorie, Jutmal had said, trying to get his coffee stirred and to extricate himself from Ms. Mooney's stainless steel limb at the same time. I can't believe that. What happens on these debate tournaments, anyhow? I thought all you did was sit around in cafeterias surrounded by teenagers waiting for it to end. Who knew there was sex involved? There is not sex involved. Oh, yeah, right. So how do you explain the newspaper this morning? It was one man who made a mistake. He does not define the entire activity. If you ask me, he makes the activity sound that much more interesting. Picking up bimbo sounds a lot more exciting than sitting around in cafeterias. I assure you, Marjorie, we do not go around picking up bimbos. He finally managed to wriggle himself free from her metallic grip. 
like to go to one of these tournaments with you one weekend. She had called out to him as he exited the lounge. He had stopped in his tracks. Really? Sure, obviously I'm missing something. He had tilted his head. For years he had tried unsuccessfully to interest his colleagues in supporting forensics. Maybe Obamash had indirectly accomplished the impossible. I'll keep you in mind, he said. Definitely. She had hounded him for more details for the rest of the day, and his lack of forthcomingness had only intrigued her more. He had tried to explain again and again that there was no story behind the headlines, but she refused to believe him, taking his demurrals as an indication of intrigue. But, finally, the school day had ended, and the teachers, at least, had gone their own ways, either home or to their after-school activities, as had Jutmal, who was now standing next to the blackboard in the speech and debate room, facing the Lincoln-Douglas people. The time has come to put Obamash behind them, but of course the students have had their own discussions, separate from the teachers, and probably much more juicy. Teenagers have a habit of making X-rated Everests out of any sexual molehill, probably because, like Everest, most of them have yet to climb it, or at least to do so without oxygen and a few extra Sherpas. But that's another story. Now they have to concentrate on the new topic, which he has written on the blackboard, quote, resolved animal testing is immoral. The entire LD team is spread around the room. Rio and Jasmine are thumbing through the notes they've already collected since yesterday when the topic was announced on the LD List server, the cyberspace bulletin board where debaters talk about, well, everything, including occasionally debate. Ellie and Tratt, as usual, are sitting close enough to each perform a Vulcan mind meld and looking fairly blank as far as the topic is concerned. The Tarleton twins, looking less like future industrialists than usual in their matching Yankee caps, are doodling in their notepads. Camellia, Jasmine's sister, is staring at Jutmal with eyes wide, waiting for the wisdom to pour forth. And finally, Buglaroni, who Jutmal had assumed would, by now, have quit the team, is sitting in the front of the room, his big feet in their imponderable two pairs of socks, and tucked into even bigger sneakers, poking out into the traffic area, an expression of total bewilderment on his skinny face. So, Jutmal begins. Anyone care to comment? My mother is a vegetarian, Buglaroni bursts out, I think. Grio looks up from his notes. You don't know? She doesn't, like, live with us. She's lucky there, one of the Tarleton twins says. Jutmal has no idea how to tell them apart. Why? Jutmal asks. My parents are divorced, Buglaroni answers. Jutmal shakes his head. No, not why doesn't she live with you. I mean, why is she a vegetarian? Well, she doesn't think it's right to eat animals. Why? It's like, uh, killing? It's like, uh, like, like bad for the animals, isn't it? I doubt if the animals are exactly in favor of it, Jutmal says. She used to say she wouldn't eat anything with a face, Buglaroni says. I guess that leaves out pumpkin pie, one of the Tarleton twins says. Tarleton's please, Jutmal tries to get them down to business. The thing is, Grio says, we have to come up with a morality argument on both sides. That's obvious. It's probably easy for the negative to make a claim that humans are morally obligated to support their own existence at any cost short of harming another human. 
As soon as you draw the line at the lesser animals, the question becomes, where do you draw the line for all? I mean, is it wrong to test on apes, but okay to test on, on, on rats? The, that would be hard to support. But is it okay to let a rat live while a human dies? Wow, hard to support that either. So the negative has the value of human life, and that seems like a really hard value to undermine. What can the affirmative say against all that? Well, Jasmine says, without much conviction, don't animals have rights too? Or at least humans only have rights because they say they have rights. Right? Right, Griot agrees. So, humans say animals don't have rights. Isn't that just self-serving on the part of the humans? Who's to say that the right to life isn't innate among all living creatures and that humans have no right to violate that right just because they're the only living creatures capable of determining what rights are? So you're saying sanctity of life, all life, Chubmoff rephrases. Right, and upholding the sanctity of life is a higher moral obligation than just upholding the sanctity of your own life. But doesn't your own life come first, Buglaroni asks? From the mouth of babes, Griot says. The resolution requires me to prioritize moral obligations, and everyone from Kant on down prioritizes self-interest. But what about positive obligations, Jasmine asks. To elaborate? This comes from Camellia. Winner of the Little Johnson, the first four words she has uttered at a debate meeting. Chapmal smiles. Remember that in cross-examination, he says. Oh, I hate this topic, Creo says. I mean, it's so stupid. Obviously, in the real world, animals come before people. Tell that to Disney, Jasmine responds. Disney, Bugleroni asks. What do they have to do with this? Not them, Jasmine explains. Him, Disney Davidson. He graduated last year, a heavy-duty vegan. I mean, really heavy-duty. He hasn't eaten meat since he was seven years old. And his father is a butcher. Too bad he's not around now to help us out, Griot says. He will be around this weekend, Jutmal says. He's judging for us. All right, Griot says. Now we can play spades. You're not even going, Jutmal says. You've got SATs, remember? Besides, it's a debate tournament, not a gambling casino. We don't gamble. We play for honor. You should gamble, Buglaroni says, but not spades. Play like poker. If I catch you gambling at a tournament, you're off the team, Chutmal says sternly. Permanently. The room is quiet, as it always is when Chutmal makes a categorical statement like that. He looks at his watch. He has a phone call to make, and he doesn't want to wait too long. Theoretically, he should go on with the meeting a little longer, but he's starting to get impatient. All right, he concludes, you guys need to do some research. Bring something with you to put on the table at Wednesday's meeting, okay? There are nods of agreement around the room. Excelsior, ladies and gentlemen. They tumble out of the room and Tarnas Jutmal, a full-fledged adult in good standing, starts to agonize about his upcoming telephone call. You thought only teenagers did that? Welcome to the Bahamas. What is Tarnas Jutmal's mysterious phone call? Are animals people, too? Is every episode going to end with this stupid welcome to the Bahamas business? Why doesn't anyone send Jules mail anymore? Will our dancing shoes be ready at the cobblers in time for cat gnats? Drink to me only with thine eyes next week when we ask the perennial question, Nips, Pars, and Tur, your place or mine? <laughs>